time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Now we're going to get into the hot topic segment today, and we've got back with us Alan Bernard. Alan's one of the leading decision scientists and theory of constraint experts in the world. He is CEO of Gold Rat Research Labs. He worked directly with a very famous guy, Dr. Ellie Goldratt, an international best-selling author and scientist, as well as business leader, and the guy that created the theory or came up with the concept and created the term that we now call the theory of constraints. Here's my interview with Alan Bernard earlier this week. Folks, I'm thrilled to have back on the podcast Dr. Alan Bernard. For those of you that are regular listeners, you know we recorded a podcast back in April 29th of this year, 2019. Hard to believe it's been this long. We've been in constant contact with Dr. Bernard as I see so much applicability of his message, what he is teaching in the theory of constraints to our industry. And so I've invited him back, and we're also going to talk about an upcoming event. We'll touch on that in just a minute. But Dr. Bernard, again, for those of you who are not familiar with him, he's the world's leading decision scientist and theory of constraints expert. As many of you know, I host this podcast, which is dedicated to keeping mortgage executives and mortgage participants abreast of all that's going on in the industry. But also, I'm a consultant to the mortgage industry and have been for over 18 years. And my mission is to help mortgage banking or mortgage lenders of all shapes and sizes and their management teams overcome obstacles that are facing them. In other words, obstacles show up in the form of constraints. So when we look at constraints... And we have someone who studies how to overcome them and the decisions that go into it. I just can't get enough of someone who has this knowledge, who has dedicated themselves to this. So excited to have you back on the podcast, Dr. Bernard. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to speak to you again. I think the, the context of the, of the discussion for today is I have a research lab, Golden Research Lab, and what we focus on specifically is helping individuals and organizations make better, faster decisions when it really matters. And of course, the importance of that objective in the context of the methodology that we use, which is theory of constraints, is that the, the ultimate constraint for, for any one of us and for any business is really the limited attention that we have. What and who we pay attention to you know, makes all the difference. For all of us, the number of things that demand our attention will always exceed our available attention. So we have to be really careful what and who we pay attention to, how we, we, we utilize this scarce resource. The workshop uh, masterclass that we are presenting on the 25th of October is specifically focusing on sharing with attendees a, a new technique that we've developed to help anybody make better, faster decisions when it really matters. And I'm, I'm super ex excited to be partnering with you in hosting this uh, masterclass on decision making on the 25th of October in Austin, Texas. 
I really am excited to be partnering with you on this masterclass on October 25th, which is Friday. It just happens to again be just before the NBA conference or fly in early for it. Or if you're in the Austin area, be sure to sign up for this before it fills up. And I say there are a limited number of seats. When I say that, I really mean it. There is another industry that is also partnering with Alan and I on this. So uh, we want to get as many of these seats taken by the mortgage community because I really believe it will help you. So go to our show notes in this podcast, and you'll see a link to register for this master class and workshop. And so please do so. If you are listening to this on Blog Talk Radio, it should also be there. Or if you're listening to it on any of the other streaming devices, go to Licken on Lending, L-Y-K-K-E-N on Lending.com and look for this episode and be sure to click on the link. We talked in your last podcast about a number of things, and we really got the topic of theory of constraint opened up. And we talked about your book, which I have gone back through and reread several times. It's the it's impossible unless. I love that question. And I love how you frame that up. And in that podcast, we talked about how you were talking to a group of miners in South Africa that were falling way behind of their goals and objectives. And it's going to have a financial consequence and significant business consequence to them if they did not get up to speed. So they brought you in. The most important part I want to underscore about that story, and we're not going to get into that story because I'm going to tell our listeners, go back and listen to the April 29th, 2019 podcast. We get into that story pretty in depth. But here's the most important part of that story. Dr. Bernard is not a mining expert. In fact, I believe, if I'm correct, Alan, you had never worked with a mine, consulted anybody with a mine, or knew anybody that had a mine. Is that correct? Uh, yes, at that time, that was correct, yes. Yeah. It always comes down to the limiting beliefs that keep companies from prospering and growing. So, Alan, let's get into that. How important is it to have industry knowledge in doing what you do? I love that story about the miners. You had never been in a mine, never <laughs> didn't know anything about it, but yet you helped them solve one of their biggest problems. How important is it? And if it isn't important, what is important? I think it's, uh, if you put the reference to it, you know, theory of constraints is, uh, provides us with a framework and, uh, uh, to help us identify constraints within systems, find out ways to better exploit and not waste that scarce resource, make sure that we subordinate everything you know, in, the, in the organization or system to that decision, elevate it, and then go back to step one of a constraint of moved. So what I normally find is that what's important is that we have a framework by which we look at the world. That allows us to, to make sense of the world. And when we go into an environment where we don't have intuition, it can be quite a bit scary. But there are, of course, a few questions that, that we could ask. And one of those questions is, you know, what is the scarcest resource? What's the weakest link in the chain? And I think people just intuitively get that. You know, if you want to improve the system, if you want to strengthen the chain, you have to focus on the weakest link. When it came to that mining experience, there's a couple of questions I've developed over a few years that helps you to make sense of an environment where you don't have experience or intuition on. And one of those questions would be, what is the difference between the best that you've ever achieved and the average performance? So if you think about the question of you walk into an environment, you don't have much experience and intuition about, but somehow they've asked you to help them identify, you know, can we do better? And if so, how? So the first question, can we do better? One question to ask without needing any domain experience, 
is what's the difference between the best and the average? Because clearly they've achieved the best with the resources they already have. So it's really understanding what was the conditions that enabled them to achieve the best performance, the best day or the best month, and asking yourself and them, why can't we replicate those conditions every single day? So if you imagine going into environment, uh, I had another experience where you go into environment, it's in Japan, the company builds and sells houses. I don't know much about selling houses, never mind selling houses in Japan. And the question is, can they do much better? Well, one good question to ask would be, what is the difference between your best salesperson and the average salesperson in the number of houses that they sell per month? Once you establish that there's a big gap, then you can go into the next question to say, why is there such a gap? What's the conditions that enable this top salesperson to achieve the top sales performance every single month? And is there a practical, simple, low-cost way of replicating those conditions every single day? So that's one of the questions that I use when I go into an environment where I don't have uh, domain experience is to ask them to share with me what's the difference between the, the best and the average or the best and the rest. And that gap normally tells you, wow, there's improvement potential here. All that we need to do is to figure out what are the conditions that will allow them to achieve their best performance every single day. It's the same mechanism that I've used in the, in the reference to the title of my book that you've mentioned. It's impossible unless it's, you are going into an environment that's maybe your own life, your own business, uh, somebody else's business, and you don't really have a lot of intuition and experience about that. But you want to see how it's possible to, to achieve much more, much better, much faster, much simpler, much cheaper. And one of the techniques that I've developed that's really simple is you ask them what is their goal, or you ask yourself what's your goal, and you, you ask yourself, is it realistic? Do you know how to achieve it? Well, the challenge is if you say it's realistic, you already think you know, and that's not going to help your, your mind uncover new knowledge. It's not going to help them uncover new knowledge if they already think they know how to achieve a target. So we have to overcome that limitation, and the way to overcome it is to ask yourself or them to keep on increasing the target, either in magnitude or shorten the duration until they say absolutely convincing, okay, now this is impossible to achieve. And as soon as you say it's impossible to achieve, of course, that could be a limiting assumption. And the question is, how do I overcome it or expose it even? I just say it's impossible unless. And what it does is it forces the mind to lift those conditions that will make the impossible possible. So those are just two simple techniques. If you go into an environment where you don't have much experience or intuition about, and you still want to help them or they've asked you to help them, is the one is to focus on, is there a big gap between the best day or the best month or the best person in that industry and the average? And if so, what are the conditions that can allow them to achieve that best performance on a, every single day. And the second technique is this, using this uh, impossible unless technique. Let's talk about some of the successes you've had. You've had amazing successes right here in the state of Texas with some other states and governments on dealing with some constraints. Give us some more examples so that people can start putting this in their own mind or how to, how to frame this up in their thinking. So uh, I think the, the, the successes is, is more the successes of the methodology. So theory of constraints is a generic methodology 
that can be applied to any any system, whether that system is a single person business or to you know Fortune 500 company, or maybe it's a it's a non-government agency or government agency. The process is always the same. It says start with what's the goal that you're trying to achieve, make sure it's an ambitious goal because that ha- allows us to really you know test our own assumptions and beliefs, and then ask yourself. What is the constraint to achieving more of that goal? What is the resource that if you had more of that resource, you definitely could achieve the goal? The next question is then, of course, to say, okay, if there is this scarce resource, how do I fully utilize it? How do I better exploit it and not waste its potential? And then subordinate everything to that decision so that the system can be elevated to a next level of performance. And I think what, what uh, an amazing team in the Texas government that, that has, uh, um, has shown, as with other governments, is that if you apply that technique to a government agency, you know, then of course, you, you will be able to focus the, the, the limited resources on identifying those opportunities that give you the biggest opportunity for improvement. So if you think about a government agency, maybe the problem there is that the demand for the services is exceeding the available capacity to provide those services. And of course, the simple solution is just add more budget, but there's a substantial constraint in the budget that's available. We first want to make sure that we are utilizing that budget in the best possible way. And in that way, you can then identify where are the ways where we are not utilizing the budget in the best possible way and what should we be focusing that budget on that will actually help us to better utilize the capacity that we've got. We've seen tremendous results in Utah government. Uh, two, two weeks ago, I was in Utah State where their governor and uh, the director of the um, governor's office for, for management and budgeting shared the results that they've achieved, remarkable results that they've achieved, applying theory of constraints to all the state agencies in Utah state government, they, they mentioned that over the last four years since they started, they've increased productivity of every agency by more than 25%. This was an ambitious target that the wow. governor had, and people were very skeptical that it would be possible to achieve that because, of course, as soon as you talk about improving productivity, immediately people think, well, that probably means budget cuts. But we introduced a, a very simple measurement for productivity, which is the quality throughput. So the throughput is the work that that agency doing is it's counting that. Maybe it's the issuing of business licenses or how many samples a specific lab is, is uh, processing for the courts and for the healthcare system. That's the throughput component. The quality component is how many of those meet the criteria of the customer. Uh, so that's quality throughput that gives you the output that you are achieving. And then below the line is the operating expenses, all the costs that you incur to achieve that quality throughput. And what they've shown over the last four years is in every agency where theory of constraints have been applied is to consistently achieve an improvement that was greater than 25% improvement. And of course, wow. because there's three factors, you can improve it in three ways, right? You can go faster uh, to increase the throughput with the same resources. You can do it better. You can improve the quality of the service that you're providing with the same resources. And then lastly, you can do it cheaper. You can uh, reduce those avoidable expenses. 
So what we've seen is that wherever this methodology of theory of constraints is applied and it's connected with the right measurement, it's guiding people to do what's best for the system as a whole. And whenever you can do that, whenever you can focus resources on a single goal and removing those few constraints that is limiting them from achieving the goal, you always get absolutely remarkable results. What are you thinking are the biggest factors that go into the success of the theories of constraint? It's a great question. I think it, uh, as a methodology, you know, it can be applied to a single process. So if you think about a specific process, maybe preparing invoices in a, fi- in a finance department, if the demand of the system in terms of the work required to, to, to prepare the invoices is exceeding the available capacity, you know, then you have a resource that's a, a, a bottleneck in that area. And of course, you can then get benefit if you can find ways of better utilizing that resource to be able to fully meet the demand that the system is placing on. So you, you can immediately gain benefit if you apply theory of constraints at a local level as long as it's used to solve a problem where the demand is exceeding available capacity of that department. But the real benefit comes when you apply it to the system as a whole, where you look at what's the goal of the system as a whole and what are the few things that is limiting or blocking that system from achieving more of those goal units. That's where you get the major results is when you apply theory of constraints at a system level. You talk in your book about resource utilization, and this has been a challenge in the mortgage lending industry. We have peaks and valleys. The Federal Reserve drops the rate or raises the rate, and it has a dramatic impact on the volumes that we have going through our industry. And so we go from stability, sometimes excess capacity, to what we're going through right now because of lower interest rates is just seems like for some companies, sheer chaos. How can they get it all through? They're struggling. They're throwing bodies at the problem. Their costs are going up. Their margins are going down. If you were sitting with a mortgage lender today who is throwing bodies at the problem, I'm sure this is not unique just to the mortgage lending industry, how would you go in and start approaching that problem? I think that's a great question. I think it's a problem that's not just unique to the mortgage industry. One of the toughest problems we have as as managers and business owners is to to balance demand and supply, right? As you mentioned, the two mistakes that we can can make is we have too much capacity for the demand, and then we're serving with a lot of capacity that's incurring costs that we might have to finally uh, lay off if it's people. Or the opposite is we don't have enough capacity to fully meet the demand, and that means we can't capitalize on our upturn in the market. So what we do in our research lab, Golden Research Lab, is we, we study the, the type of decisions that managers face and why they get it wrong. So if you think about that problem, which is if I have a certain demand, but that demand is fluctuating up and down, how do I then decide how much resources to allocate to meet that demand? And the mistake that we can make is that we allocate resources based on the long-term forecast. All that we know about the long-term forecast is it will be wrong, which means that we'll make one of those two mistakes. We'll either allocate too much resources or too little resources, and then we won't be able to fully capitalize on an upturn on the market. So a better way of approaching it is to say, 
Is there an opportunity to aggregate the resources, keep it central, and only allocate it once I'm absolutely sure that there's a demand for that service? So if you think about, say I've got uh, uh, two departments, and both of these departments think that there will be a demand of 10 on them for the year, but that demand could fluctuate somewhere between 5 and 15. Another question is, how much resources should I give them? If I give them enough resources to cope with the extreme scenario of each experiencing a demand of 15, most of the time, you know, I'll have too much resources sitting idle, not doing anything. At the same time, if I only give them enough resources to cope with the five, you know, then clearly uh, they won't be able to, to meet the demand that's put on them. So what we tend to do is we say, what's the average demand? Let's say it's 10, and then we allocate both departments enough resources to cope with a 10. But it hasn't solved the problem because when the demand is down to five, you know, they have too much. When the demand is at 15, they, they don't have enough. So a better way of doing it is to say, why can't we allocate them the absolute bare minimum so that they have it right on site, so we give them as much as they need to, to deal with five or maybe six or seven or eight, and, and that's what we allocate fixed to them we, because we absolutely know that they will use that. But then we keep the rest of the resources central, and we monitor the backlogs for each of these or the queues waiting for them. And as the queue in department one grows, we can dynamically allocate more resources to them. When the queue goes down, we can move those resources back centrally and then allocate them maybe to department two. So that's a, that's a different way of dealing with these quite normal fluctuations and the constraint moving from the production side or the service provision side where we don't have enough capacity to meet the demand. And then next, the next month, suddenly there's now too much capacity, is to keep those resources centrally. If you think about a practical example of most organizations do annual budgeting, this is a great example of making that mistake where you ask people to decide how much resources they need to meet a forecasted demand. And then not only you allocate those resources for the whole year and you fix it, but you then amplify that mistake by having the spend it or lose it policy in, in organizations. So if they don't need it, they have to use it, else they will lose it. And if they, if they don't have enough, of course, they have to ask for more. A much better way of, of making that decision would be to say, we'll allocate the bare minimum resources to every department, and then we'll just dynamically monitor. So if they need more, we have some buffer centrally that we can allocate dynamically. And as soon as they don't need it anymore, it comes back to the center, and then we can allocate it somewhere else where it's needed. So that's probably the best way of dealing with any industry that's facing the problem of fluctuations, substantial fluctuations in the demand is not to have a, a fixed policy of allocating the resources, but to have a much more dynamic way of allocating the resources based on where it's really needed. The consulting you're doing, does it work better for large organizations or is this something that even smaller organizations can avail themselves and benefit from? The results that have been shown with creative constraints over the past 30 years have shown that it it can apply to any size of organization. It can apply to any type of organization, whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit. The, the only requirement is that that organization has a goal and that there are some resources that are required in order to achieve that goal. And 
and how, how, what is the best way of doing it? It's the best way is to find out what resource, if I had more of it, can help me achieve more of those goal units and make sure that you don't waste that resource. And when it's still after, you know, making sure that you don't waste it, it's still the, the bottleneck or the weakest link, then to go and get more. And that provides you with a systematic way of continuously improving any system. But as you mentioned in your short introduction, it can also apply at the individual level. What's our bottleneck, you know, as an individual? And it's clear that there's one resource that satisfies the criteria for a bottleneck. Uh, a bottleneck is simply a resource where the, the, the demand on that resource exceeds its available capacity. And as I mentioned in the, in the previous discussion we had, if you think about your limited attention, right, the things that demand our attention on a daily basis or could benefit from our attention on a daily basis will always exceed our available attention. So limited attention is clearly the, our bottleneck. That's the thing that's limiting us from achieving more of the goals that's important to us as individuals in life. And how do we apply fear of constraint to that? The first step is make sure you don't waste that scarce resource. You know, what and who you pay attention to can make all the difference. If you pay attention to the right things, to the right people, you know, you could achieve goals that you thought impossible. But if you pay attention to the wrong things and the wrong people, then the opposite becomes true. Then suddenly you you make the possible <laughs> impossible, if that makes possible, sense. Possible, yes. So it's universally applicable. It can apply to any system as long as the system has a goal and it requires resources to achieve that goal. Then fear of constraints can be applied very, very effectively to, to help you utilize those resources that are the scarcest resource in a much, much better way to achieve much more of the goal units. When you're talking about resources, Dr. Bernard, you have created an app that is free to help individuals and is, I guess, applicable to helping companies. Yes, yeah, so just a little bit of background. So as I mentioned, this, our research lab is focusing on helping individuals and organizations make better, faster decisions, specifically related to the allocation of scarce resources. And one of our scarcest resources, as I mentioned, is our limited time and attention. So what we did was we said, okay, we'd like to create a process that will help somebody make better, faster decisions when it really matters, whether it's in their personal life or in their organization. Uh, we developed this, this methodology called the Procon Cloud Method. It's kind of an evolution of Benjamin Franklin's famous uh, Procon List, uh, where you yes. simply list the pros and cons of a, of, a, of a decision that you're facing. This is an advancement to that. It, it keeps all the benefits of the old method, but also addresses some of its limitations. So we developed the, the methodology. We tested it with both in the private sector, public sector, and then with individuals. We then developed a training program to train people how to use the method on any difficult decision they're facing. And the final step of that evolution was then to develop an app to make this process available to, to anybody. So as you rightly pointed out, we've got an app. It's called the Harmony Decision Maker app. You can download it from, from any of the, the app stores on your, on your mobile phone or tablet. We also have a web version of the app that's available via harmonytoc.com. And the app just guides the user through these five steps of the Procon Cloud method. So what's the problem or decision that you're facing? What's the conflict in terms of dealing with the two options that you've got? 
how to come up with options, new options that will give you more upside and less downside than the ones that you previously considered, how to use the feedback of stakeholders to make the solution even more robust, and then to design a, a little experiment that you can go and test. What the app has allowed us to do is not only provide a simple way for people to be guided through the process, but they can actually share their analysis and implementation status, either anonymously Mm. or with their full name via the app. So in our community library for users that download the app, you can literally do a search and say, you know, I'm currently dealing with a problem of uh, quitting a bad habit like smoking or vaping. Who else in the world has faced this difficult decision of what's the best way of doing it? And you can go into our community library and it will show you instances where other people have faced the same decision. What was the limiting assumptions or beliefs that they ended up challenging? And what was the outcome of their results? So, so that's the idea with the app is to, to make this process available to as many people around the world. And as you mentioned, we do have a, a masterclass where we teach people how to use the, the methodology and they use the app in that masterclass. And the next one that's coming up will be on the 25th of October in, in, in Austin, Texas, where I'm personally presenting this, this masterclass. Dr. Bernard, talk about this masterclass that you're going to be doing here in Austin. What's the format? It's a one-day format. Is that correct? It's a, it's a one-day format, and it really is a masterclass about decision-making. How do, you, how do you make better, faster decisions when it really, really matters? Right? Uh, you, you probably know the research shows that we make about 35,000 odd decisions every single day. The, the good news is most of those don't matter. Right? What we eat, what we right. wear, etc. it might feel important, but in the biggest scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But there's a few that do matter. You know, getting those right or wrong can make a big difference in, in our performance as individuals, but also the performance of our organization. And what the masterclass does, it teaches you a method that you can then use to, first of all, understand why we all sometimes overreact and make bad changes or choices in our life or our business, or why we often procrastinate and not make good changes or choices in our life or our business. So that's the first outcome that attendees will receive when they attend the masterclass is I will be sharing with them all the latest knowledge from decision scientists in why we make these two fundamental mistakes. And then I'll share with them this five-step process that they can use on any decision and that they can take with them together with the app that they can apply to any decision that they face after that. The real benefit of attending the masterclass is that attendees actually bring with them some really difficult problem or decision that they're facing right now in their personal life or in their business. And the guarantee is that by the end of the day, they would have made a remarkable breakthrough in that decision or problem, and they will walk away with a breakthrough solution that they can can go and test. So those are the three outcomes that attendees will, will achieve by attending. They will gain much deeper insight into why good people like like us, make and often repeat bad decisions. They will learn a process that they can use to prevent those mistakes in the future. But then the majority of the workshop is an interactive workshop where they're going to be using the process and the app to help them make a better, faster decision on any tough decision that they're currently facing. 
Well, I am so excited about this master class. Our podcast is sponsoring it as well as our consultant firm, Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Also, we have some uh, someone from within that used to work for the, within the Texas government that's benefited from this, that's gone into independent consulting doing it. It's not just for mortgage lenders. We're going to have other industries there represented at this class. And how can they learn more? Do you have a website where they can go register for this conference? We have a website called tocodyssey.org, and that's our, our not-for-profit organization through which we are doing all these masterclasses, so tocodyssey.org. Well, we'll have that link in the podcast notes, folks, so head over to our website, look at Unlending, and download or go into this episode, and you will see a link to this masterclass, and you can get registered. I encourage you to find that and get connected to it. Of course, you can text me. I'll be happy to text it out to you if you want to get a hold of me. Dr. Bernard, thank you so much for taking time to be here with me today. It's, uh, I'm very excited about this masterclass, and I want to continue introducing you in these concepts to our industry. And so very excited. And the nice part about the masterclass is it's just before the Mortgage Banking Conference that starts on Sunday. Now, if you're going to Empower, that starts on Saturday. So come on in a day early and join us at the masterclass. Very exciting, Dr. Bernard. Very excited to have you presenting to those of us who can be in attendance. Excited to have you on the podcast again. I wish you the best and appreciate you very much and all the work that you're doing. Thank you, Dave. I want to tell you, next week we're going to have Marsha Davies on and we're talking about Empower. We are going to be there again this year with the podcast, recording many interviews. But if you are there, and Alice, you can, if you're still on the line, you can jump in and, and just the importance of Empower and make sure you have good representation at the conference. Alice, do you want to add anything to that? Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, the agenda is terrific, and uh, it really does help the women of the organization come together even as their own team. So by sending a group of women to your, from your company to the event, it gives them opportunities to share ideas as well as learn from speakers who are there. We all have walked away. All the years has been held with lots of great information and energy that really can have a long-term impact on your organization. So I really stress, send a group of women to that event. You will see the benefits. Yes, you'll see the benefits. Yes, yes, for sure. Thank you, Alice. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Black Knight, Open Mortgage, Finastra, ResX Warehouse Lending, a division of United Bank, the MBA, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, also known as TMC, and the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, CMLA, Velma, Knowledge Coop, Vidyard, and AI Assist. If you're interested in learning more about advertising with us, we just picked up another advertiser, another lender. Glad to have more lenders coming on board. Appreciate you making this program possible. Also, then, a special thank you goes out to Alice, Allen, Andy, and Joe for their ongoing contributions. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Thanks for listening.